Well, good morning, friends and family. If you will, grab a seat and grab your Bibles. And if you will, join me in the book of Numbers. That's right, the book of Numbers. Like, wait a minute, we were in Genesis two weeks ago and then Exodus last week. Slow down, Digsy. Don't worry, we're going to slow down a little bit. But today, Numbers chapter 13. By the way, if you're in the binder, turn with me now to page 68. 68 in your binder. That's where we will be. And if you are finding our, your place in the Bible and using one of ours, that will be on page 124. Numbers 13 is on page 124. All right. You ready? I want to start with a pop quiz. Are you ready? Here's the pop quiz. Raise your hand if you recognize this gentleman's face right here. Any of you know who this guy is? All right. All right. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. For those whose hands are down, let me give you another photo. Go ahead. The next photo. Now, do you know who this guy is? Anyone else? You're going, nope, still don't recognize him, Diggs. Okay, who knows who that is, church? Abraham Lincoln, very good. Abraham Lincoln. He was known by many names and many qualities, but one of those was as the great emancipator. Because in 1863, he signed the Emancipation Proclamation that freed over three million slaves. And he said... When he signed the document that his hand trembled because he knew the significance of what he was about to do and the generational impact and how the course of human history would be forever changed. Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator. But I got news for you this morning, church. 3,300 years ago, there was another emancipation by another great emancipator. In fact, his name stands above all others. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of creation, the one who spoke all things into existence, spoke through a man named Moses, let my people go. And he liberated between two and three million people from Egyptian slavery. And that one moment, the exodus, if you want to go ahead and show that zoom in screen there, if you don't mind the check mark, that one moment, that exodus moment became the defining moment for the Jewish people. If you ask them today, what is the most important defining moment in their history? They would say it was the exodus. Because in that moment, they went from slaves to free people. And this one picture is not only important to them, but it is also a picture for you and me. Because it's the greatest event, not only of physical freedom, but it also represents the greatest event for every human who will ever live, and it's the possibility of salvation or freedom from sin and being brought in to new life as free people. And I just want you to know this morning that as we look at this story, we looked at the beginning of Exodus last week. If you weren't here, go back, because that is the central message, that's the central story in the Old Testament. But today we're coming into part two of it. And I just want to say this to you. Every human being is born into this world as a slave to sin. Every one of us is in need of a Savior. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter if when you were born, the doctor pulled you out, smacked you on the rear, and you said, Jesus, you need Jesus still, friends. doesn't matter if you grew up in church sitting on the front row. doesn't matter any of that. You and I need a personal relationship with Jesus. And coming into a building does not set you free. But entering into relationship with Jesus, oh, now that sets you free. And so he begins the liberation process from Egypt And they're going to go to the promised land, but there's this big place in between that they've got to get through, and it's called the wilderness. All I want to do this morning is I want to share with you three truths, three lessons that we learn from Scripture about the wilderness. 
Because I believe this is applicable to you. Just as we need salvation, we also need to understand some truths about the wilderness. And it begins with this. I want to show you a map of the setting of where we are. Up into the top left is Egypt. And God leads the people of Israel down from slavery through the Red Sea and to Mount Sinai. This is the Sinai Peninsula. And the question that I have, and maybe you have as well, if you notice that Canaan or the Promised Land is up here, why does God take them down here? Is he directionally challenged? Is there, is there a problem with God's GPS, you know, God's positioning system? I mean, is there something off? What's going on here? And I want to show you one more slide and see if we can kind of make sense of this. But when you look at this next slide, what do you notice about this map? It is covered in wildernesses. I don't know if like the plural of wilderness is wilderness. I'm not sure, but whatever. There's a bunch of them here, right? Do you notice this? You have the wilderness of Shur, of Sin, of Sinai. The wilderness of Paran and Zin. And then if that's not enough, you also have up here along the coastline a group called the Philistines. How many of us know the Philistines? And I didn't say the Philippines, the, the Philistines. And so God brings them through a way. And you say, why did God drag them through the wilderness instead of just right to the promised land? And the answer is simply this. Point number one, the wilderness is part of the journey. There is no path to the promised land except through the wilderness. Some of you sitting here today can testify to the fact that you've been saved, but you have been through a wilderness, or you're going through a wilderness, or you're seeing one on the horizon, and you could testify if we gave you the microphone that, yes, the wilderness is a part of the journey. The promised land is on the other side, and there is no route that doesn't take the Israelites through the wilderness or through enemy territory. And everyone goes through it. You won't get through this life without going through a wilderness or two or three or more. And they'll be different for each of us. In fact, you notice that all the names of the wildernesses are different, right? you got different names, but it's all a wilderness. So you've got the wilderness of Zin or Sin or Sinai or Shur or Paran. You've got different names, but it's still the wilderness. Same for you. Same for me. Some of you are going through a wilderness... And it's different from other people in this room. Some of you are going through a wilderness of financial loss. And you're going, I don't know how to get through the end of the month without the money. Others in here, you're not going through a financial wilderness. You're going through a relational wilderness. You've been brokenhearted because of someone or a situation or a child or a parent. Or maybe you're brokenhearted because you so desperately would like to have a relationship and yet you do not. And so there's the relational wilderness. And then for others... We have different kinds. Maybe it's the relational wilderness of illness or of grief or a loss of a dream. Here's what I need you to know. Everyone in this room will go through at least one wilderness, and it may be different from yours. And none of us know all the wilderness that people are going through right now. It's possible to come into church, look really, really good, and feel very, very sad or very, very broken or very, very hurt as well. Can I get an uh uh-huh from anyone who knows what I'm talking about? Which means... As the body of believers, be kind to everyone. You don't know what they're going through. This is why Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I believe one of the worst things that we can say to a new Christian is, Hey, now that you're following Jesus, everything will be all right. Because it won't. It's not going to be easy. And here's why. 
we're not home yet. You are saved, and there is heaven, but there's the wilderness between. It is a part of the journey, and although God did not cause it, God, you notice, still leads them through it. In other words, if you're going through the wilderness and you are a saved believer, you never go through the wilderness alone. God goes with you. And so God takes them into the wilderness But again, he doesn't take them by the shortest route. Instead, again, I'm not that smart, but where does he take them? He doesn't take them to Canaan, but he takes them to Sinai, here in the south. Like, what? going back one, why in the world is he taking them this direction? It makes no sense to me. And here's what we see. Point number two, the wilderness is not just a part of the journey, but it is a period of preparation. The wilderness is a period of preparation See, God knows what Israel will face in Canaan. They don't know what they're going to face, but he does, doesn't he? He's already seen the future as well as the geography. He knows what's to come. He knows that when they come into Canaan, the new promised land, they'll face foreign nations and temptations to trust pagan gods. They'll be tempted to believe that their success was their own doing. So God, before he brings them into the promised land, must prepare them in the wilderness. So he teaches them how to live By giving them the law at Sinai. He teaches them how to trust him by giving them manna and quail. You say, what is manna? Well, manna is like this graham crackery almost goodness. It's a sweet kind of bread that came from the sky. They didn't know what it was, so they called it manna. That just meant, what is it? Great name for something you don't know what it is, right? God gives them food. He gives them water in the wilderness. So they learn in the wilderness that they can trust him and that everything they have, hear me now, is because of his hand, not theirs. And then he shows that he can, they can trust that he will always be present by giving them the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. By the way, not next Sunday, but in two weeks, we're going to begin looking at some of these sacred objects and things that God gave them. And I promise you, if you will come back, you will learn things about God's love for you and his relationship with you that perhaps you've never seen before. And so God has to prepare them in the wilderness for the promised land. And so when I think about this, I think about a number of stories that perhaps you know or I know, but one of the stories I think of of someone being prepared in the wilderness is my mother-in-law. And by the way, I have permission to share this. I asked her this week. I said, hey, can can I? She said, anything that you share from my story, you go for it if it helps someone. But my mom-in-law, I love this woman, Marilyn. She actually may be watching right now or later today. Hi, mom, too. Everyone, hey, could you throw me a bone and say hi real fast to Marilyn? Just reel out on count three. One, two, three. Thank you. Happy early Mother's Day. Anyway, <clears throat> in 1997, uh, she entered a wilderness. It was the day after Christmas. While my wife and her two other siblings were getting all their Christmas gifts put together and ready because the day is just play day, she was out. And when she came back home, she found a note from her soon to be ex husband saying, I'm out. He left the day after Christmas and he never came home. Is that a wilderness to anyone? Absolutely. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. She wouldn't wish that on her worst enemy. And it's not, you you go, God, why? And it's not that God caused it, but here's what she will tell you today. Although going through the wilderness, let me just just pause here. I got to interrupt the story to tell you this. Please never moralize when someone is going through a wilderness. Oh, but God has a plan. They don't need that in that moment, do they? And if you're going through a wilderness, just feel free to check out for the next few minutes. I get that this may be hard. But, but for those of you who are not in the wilderness, hold on to this so you're ready for the moments when they come. Does that make sense? All right, PSA over. Let me come back to it. So here's what God does. He didn't cause her wilderness, 
But he prepared her through the wilderness. And she will tell you, by God's grace, she has been used to lead variety of divorce cares to help many people who have been divorced, abandoned, or betrayed get through their wildernesses. In other words, God prepared her. And my mother-in-law did not waste her wilderness. I think about another friend of mine I spoke to earlier this week. Many of you know him, Shane Shepard. By the way, how many of you know Shane Shepard in this church? He's a big personality, big guy, and God has used him in big, big ways. Shane will tell you if you ask him his story, hey, Shane, tell me about your life. He'll say, well, I grew up in the church. At 15, I became a Christian, gave my life to Christ in baptism. I was there whenever the doors were open, he'd tell you. But then he began to fall in with the wrong crowd and as a result, fall into a bottle and into drugs. And he'll tell you he tried for many years to get out on his own. And how many of us know it's just not easy to get out on your own? It's easy to get in, just hard to get out. He said he tried over and over and over again until this one moment came And Shane made this point. He said, Josh, it took going through that wilderness to be fire and on fire for Jesus Christ. By the power of God, he was liberated. He went through multiple 12-step processes, and God rescued him through Jesus Christ. And Shane will tell you, by God's grace, he is now, get this, Shane is now 21 years sober. I mean, God is good, isn't he? And here's the cool thing. Shane was being prepared in the wilderness And so he has led a variety of groups and helped other people step out of addiction. In other words, God did not put him in the wilderness, but God prepared him in the wilderness. And Shane did not waste his wilderness. How sad would it be to go through a bad time, to go through a wilderness and not learn anything, church? It's like the kid who is the fifth time third grader. You know what I mean? Like they fail five different times. And how many of us know you can't go to the next grade until you pass the final exam? That there's a process of learning that takes place and God uses it to grow us and to help other people. In fact, I'm convinced if you're in a wilderness, God wants to prepare you in some way. Now, don't hear me say that God made you go into the wilderness. But I believe God wants to use the wilderness to prepare you in some way. And I don't know what it will be. Maybe it will be to help someone else go through their wilderness. Maybe it will be to introduce a person to Jesus, or maybe it'll be simply to understand the depth of God's love and his faithfulness in dark times. I don't know what it is, but I pray that you do not waste your wilderness. And so, they're in the wilderness. And God then leads them from Sinai up to this next place. Go ahead in the next slide. It's a place called Kadesh Barnea. And if if you're to remember any other location, this is one of the most important moments, locations, in the entire Old Testament. Because it changed the course, not only of a few people's lives, but the entire nation of Israel. See, at Kadesh Barnea, they're close to the promised land. This is to be their staging ground where they're going to launch into Canaan and begin the conquest to find their place in their new home. And so Moses selects ten different men to spy out the land. Each man was a leader, very important, a leader in his tribe of the twelve tribes. And so they go in, and they're to spy out the land for 40 days. And when they return on the 40th day, this is what we read in Numbers chapter 13. I would invite you to look with me now at Numbers 13, verse 27. And I want you to see what it says here. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is its fruit. Now, that phrase, flowing with milk and honey, is simply a Hebrew way of saying, Wow! It's amazing! It's awesome! 
In fact, they brought back some of the fruit. We're told that they brought a cluster of grapes. Now, when you go to the grocery and you buy a cluster of grapes, how big is it? Right? For them, it was so big, they put a cluster of grapes on a pole, and two guys are carrying the grapes in. They're like, and check out the fruit. It's amazing. It's like, honey, I shrunk the kids. You get to climb into the fruit. It's fantastic. A great place. And then this, this thing happens. They say, it's incredible. Then there's a churn, and it's in verse 28. Notice this. But, they continued, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, etc. live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Now, Here's what I want you to see. They're basically saying, it's great, but it's tough. Here's point number three. Are you ready? The wilderness is a place of decision. The wilderness is a place of decision. They can see their future home close by, and they've heard the report, and they've seen it with their own eyes. And the decision that they must make is simply this. Will I stay here, or will I continue to move on? Will I stay comfortable Or will I grow to where God is calling me? Because you cannot stay comfortable and grow. They don't go together. It's a decision. Will I stay here or will I move on? And here's what I find so interesting. They say it is awesome, but it's crawling with giants. The fruit is great, but we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, some of you are going, who is this Anak guy? He sounds like a big dude, tough guy. Who is he? All right, ready? Anak was a descendant himself of a group of giants that we are told about in Genesis chapter 6. They're called the Nephilim. How many of you read that part in your study and said, who are these fellas? Right? So he is a descendant. He's this giant of a man. And so his descendants are huge fellas and gals as well. And so you have Anak. In fact, some of his descendants, one of them were told, this is in 1 Samuel, we're told that one of Anak's descendants is a giant that has six fingers and six toes on each hand and foot. Kind of freaky. There's another one we're told about, Og. He's this huge, hulking man. His bed was 13 feet long and six feet wide. It was made out of iron because he was such a big boy. In fact, there were, the reason it says the different groups were in different locations around the promised land, the whole point is to say they're everywhere. In fact, the giants were in a variety of places, including places like Gaza, Ashdod, and Gath. Who do we know who comes from Gath? Goliath. We have the Bible Bowl champ over here, okay? You have Goliath. He's almost 10 feet tall, massive, hulking guy. And so the Israelites see all these people and they go, It's great. But they see the promise. But, in fact, notice this, next slide. The land flows with milk and honey, but the people who live here are powerful. In other words, let's go to the next slide. There is a promise, but they see the problem instead. I want to tell you why this word but is such a dangerous word or a powerful word. If you want to make a decision to move or to stay, pay attention to this one word. Notice that they say, yes, God has promised us big things. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so cool. But the problem is even bigger. 
That word but is an incredible word because it negates whatever came before. We've talked about this. Let me say it again. So you get that letter. Maybe you're like me, and in middle school you get the letter from the girl that you like so much, or high school you get the letter from the girl you like so much, and she says, I've enjoyed dating you these past three months, but I've met someone else. Question, what part of that letter are you paying attention to? Oh, she's enjoyed these past three months? No, you're paying attention to what came afterward because this one little three-letter word negates what came before. God has promised us great things, but the problem is bigger. Let me take you deeper now. That word, but, comes from a very interesting Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word, ephes. Everyone say, ephes. Oh, that's pathetic. Let's try this one more time. It's easy. Ephes on three. One, two, three. Ephes. There we go. You want to know what that word means? Say yes. It means end. Because wherever you put the but, that is the end of the promise. If you say this is the end, that's the end. Oh, I know God has promised this. The end. Oh, because of the problem. How many dreams have been lost because we put an end before God said there was an end? How many of us have missed out on the gifts of God because we said, I see what he says, but this is a bigger problem. And so we have ended the promise because of the problem. Are you tracking with me? And so these 10 men, the 12 come back and 10 of them say, it's too big. It's too hard. We can't do it. And the people say, okay. But there are two men who say, no, we can do this. And one of their names is Caleb. The other one is Joshua. And notice what Caleb says. I find this so encouraging. He says in verse 30, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. Why? For we can certainly do it. Why? He had paid attention to the promise of God more than the problem. In other words, if you listen to the problem, here's what happens. Next slide. This, by the way, someone said, did, did you just squiggle it? No, no, no. That is actually the route that Israel does for 40 years because they listen to the problem more than the promise. I, I just need, a, I need to talk to us for a minute here. Parents, we set the tone for the future of our families. Are we doing so pointing out the promise of God or the problems of the world? Friends, some of you, will be the ones who set the tone for your friend group. Are you pointing out the promise? Are you pointing out the problems? I think about so many of you in leadership, maybe in business, or just in your community, or in your play groups. You will get to set the tone for the direction of a group of people, maybe for generations, simply by focusing on the problem or the promise. And if you choose the problem, this is what will happen. And because the people of Israel did not listen to Caleb, but they listened to the ten, they ended up stuck They did not progress. The wilderness is where they died. They said, we will die in the wilderness. We can't make it. And God says, okay, I will honor your belief. You say you will die here, so you will die here. And we're told that not hundreds, not thousands, not even hundreds of thousands, but likely over a million people died in the wilderness over the course of 40 years. Everyone from the age of 20 and older died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they did not say the problem is bigger. They said that the promise of God is bigger than the problem. See, the wilderness is always a place of decision. Who will I trust? What voice will I listen to? Will I stay here or will I move on? And so, Caleb says, we can do it. 
And I want you to see something. Go to this next slide. If you flip it, it changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah. The Bible, by the way, does not want you to be ignorant or pretend that life is easy. Real fast. Is, the life, is life easy church? Everyone say no. It's not. Does following Jesus mean that everything's going to be easier, church? Everyone say no. No. Following Jesus does not mean that life will be easier. In fact, sometimes it makes it harder, doesn't it? You don't get to make some of the shortcuts other people make. You don't get to maneuver in ways that others make. Life is hard. And the Bible is painfully honest with the difficulties of life. We are in a battle. The enemy is real. Life is still hard. Death is a reality. Old age and body aches. Disappointment and betrayal. Life is still hard. But God doesn't make it easy. But he promises that because he fights for us, victory is certain. This is the decision. Point number three. The wilderness is a place of decision. And I want to be the kind of person, I know you want to be the kind of person who lives courageously and says yes to God. That yes, there are problems. Yes, I'll be honest about it. I know you, you don't want to look at the world with rose-colored glasses as ignorant people, and you're not. I don't want to be that guy either. We want to look at problems real. But we want to be a people who point to the promise of God because we know, we know, we know who wins in the end, don't we, church? And for all those who are in Christ Jesus, although there are problems today, Jesus even says this, victory is assured for tomorrow. So, you may be in your own little Kadesh Barnea today. My question is this. What decision will you make? I pray that it's the one that says, yes, Lord, and you follow him in. Let's pray together. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to consider for a moment where you are this morning. Maybe you are in a wilderness. Maybe you are in a good place. Maybe you've already find yourself in a wide open space and the goodness of God is so obvious. Or maybe you're simply kicking the tires of faith considering what does it look like to experience this grace of Jesus. Would you tell the Lord that now? You don't tell him because he needs to know. You tell him because you need to be reminded yourself. For some of you, you need to say yes to Jesus as those sweet souls did last Sunday. Leave Egypt, come into salvation, find freedom. For others, you just need a loving arm and shoulder to lean on because the wilderness is hard. Whatever you need, if we can serve you, you find us out in the lobby during this next song. Father, every heart is open to you now. I pray that you will meet us right where we are. And in the wildernesses of life, remind us that yes, it's part of the journey. And yes, you want to prepare us in it. But I pray that today will be the day that we, in our own Kadesh Barneas, say, I decide to follow Jesus because the promise is bigger than the problem. We thank you, dear Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.